good Sunday afternoon. Welcome to another edition of the Sideline Junkie Sunday Rise. It's me, it's me, it's the big guy KG. Uh, here, waiting on the Midnight Rider. Uh, he's saying he's having technical difficulties. Um, oh, there you go, you know. <laughs> I got that text late, but hey, he's here. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the one, the only, Midnight Rider. Yo. What's happening? What's going on, man? How you doing, man? Uh, man, it's a lot going on, but I'm doing well. I will say that. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. I haven't gone through 12 states in the last couple days, so (laughs) I don't know what that's like. You know what I'm saying? And road tripping, man. Road tripping with moms and the wife, man. That, and it was just a spur of the moment thing, you know. Pack the cool and just see where we wind up. So that's what's up, man. That's the best kind I have. That's kind I have. And look, oh, before we get started, let me tell you this. I told moms, I said, "You remember what you did to me in '93? If the Cowboys ever win a championship in my lifetime again, I said I got a Cowboys championship T-shirt with your name on it." Oh, that's dirty. <laughs> I said, yeah. She said, Are you ever gonna let that go? No, ma'am, I am not. We are working on 30 years <laughs> of heartache and pain. Mm-mm. Not letting it go. But now I had to reach out to you and see if you were free. Because number one, we got to get back in the studio a little bit more often. I mean, we all on the road, we all work in the summertime. But this right here had to be a sit-down. And I knew I couldn't call on nobody for this. Other than you, Juan Soto. Y- yes, uh, brother, I'm not lying because I was like, I wonder what Ben got to say. Because yeah. I need you to go in depth. I know we we got our time limit, but 15 years, 444, $440 million dollars from the Nationals who opened up the pocketbook for a homegrown talent. That's twenty twenty nine point three million dollars a year. Uh, mm-hmm. Soto, we're talking about Juan Soto. Uh, right. 292 lifetime batting average, 117 home runs, uh, two all-star appearances, uh, 354 RBIs, of course, World Series champion back in 19, um, two Silver Slugger awards, batting champion in 2020. Okay, why in the world did he turn down this type of money? He's only 23. Please help me understand. All right, so short-term, let's go on the short-term. You said 29 Point three three, right, is the average for the APR for this deal. Yeah. So this year he's making seventeen off his arbitration. Next year his arbitration number goes up by eight point five million. So he's going to be at about twenty five six next year. The following year it goes up another eight and a half, um, based on his performance, of course. So he's going to be at about thirty three, thirty four million. So that's two years he's going to earn just about that twenty nine anyway. So he doesn't have the motivation to make this deal. Part B, or the other twist in this plot, is very simple. He's a Scott Boris client. Scott Boris is one of those guys that when he walks from the table, he always has to have the best deal in place. So it looks like back in 2019, Mike Trout signed his deal. Trout's deal was 12 million, I mean 12 years, 426 million. So the, for, so the average of that is 35.5, right? So we're looking just at that number alone. You know me, I always say one contract sets the table 
Now you got to go above the table. So for me, just looking at this from a, a pure number standpoint, his number would have to be somewhere around four, 450 to 475. But the years got to come back to about 12 or 13 for this to make sense for him. Because otherwise, he's going to get that money, the 29.3. He's going to get that the next two years if you add it up together. He's going to make about that just by going through arbitration and just planning out till um, free agency. So he really doesn't have motivation to sign this deal any sooner than he has to or than he wants to. So Washington has to go into this situation, put a number in front of him that's going to make him say, okay, I'm good. And he might leave some money on the table, but he got to come away feeling like he got something out of this. And I think that's the hard part. Like this 13440 just doesn't – I mean, when I saw it, I was like, yeah, he should he should reject it. Um, it doesn't make sense. Anything under 450 for me with Soto doesn't make sense. And the crazy thing is this year his stats alone, he's probably – his average isn't there, but he's probably going to challenge Barry Bonds or get close to Bonds' number for his record season where he walked. He's getting that close to that. Like, that's the crazy part about it is he's having a bad season number-wise, but nobody's switching to him. In the two-game series against Seattle this year, this this past week, he got walked five, five times in two games. So he's really not even getting a chance. The problem is Nelson Cruz, who's hitting behind him, is hitting like 220. And, yeah, you have Josh Bell, but, I mean, right now they're backing Josh Bell in front. So that doesn't really help Juan Soto out. So, I mean, there's a couple of things that's also affecting his numbers. It's just the fact that the people around him aren't that good and nobody's pitching to him. And that record for walks, 232 in a season, which is astronomical, but everybody was scared of Barry Bonds. Now, you 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 said something, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, damn, you you saying 440 ain't enough? And I'm here's what I love about MLB contracts. They're fully guaranteed. So you're going to get that money regardless. But now 440, that's not enough. And then you started bringing the arbitration numbers in, which is why I said I had to talk to you because I know the inner workers of NBA and uh, NFL contracts. Right. MLB is a different beast that I have yet to tackle. But I'm trying. And, of course, every day is a learning experience. But you're saying to me that if he's – looking at 29.3 and right. he arbitration next year you said 25 from 17 to 25 yep. Yep, he's gonna jump to about 25 <sighs> okay and then the next year he jumps to 33 so, mm, mm, so that's mm. about what 68 million yeah 68 million now what makes it okay i get the contract i get the numbers from his side now, why not, as the Nationals, why not go back and say, okay, let's see if we can rework these numbers to equal out something that can keep him here instead of saying, okay, we, you know, you don't want it. We open the trade in you. Like, bro, that so, was so quick. Nah. So that's that's a that's either a Boris or that's somebody's insider pushing that out there, pushing that narrative. Because the Nationals have no reason to get off of this bandwagon for two years. It doesn't make sense to trade them now. You're not going to get anything now in this moment that's going to make that deal, that it's going to be better than what you get in two years. 
there's nothing out there. I mean, I, I don't care who you get, how you structure it. Unless they bring in Danny Ames to work with um, Rizzo, you're just not going to get a crazy package. And then no matter what you're going to get, it's going to be flawed. The second you add the word prospects into a deal for Soto, you're going to lose out in some aspects of that deal. It's just one of those things. I think um, John Thompson used to have a saying where potential can always get you fired or potential gets you fired. You know what better than I do. Yes, Lord. Yeah, so so like this is a situation where you need some certainty if you're going to trade Juan Soto. And I don't think you can get certainty in a baseball deal. So I think the best thing for them to do is regroup, come together with another deal. Um, I don't know. The 13-year deal, to me, rings a little of a Ted Leonsis type of thing. So that might be a sign that he might be in the front running of um, owning this team in the potential sale. But I know one thing, Washington cannot in two years be walking away from Juan Soto when you're trying to establish and keep baseball living and alive in the city because we've lost too many other talents before. Um, you knew you weren't going to sign Bryce Harper. That's, I understand that. You know you're going to lose um, Scherzer or you wanted to get rid of Scherzer because he only had like a year left on his deal. I get that. Like these moves make sense in a baseball sense, but from a building a fan base standpoint, it hurts because now little kids don't have that person to to grasp onto. You know, you used to go and you see the 34s running around because it was Bryce Harper. Now all you see is a bunch of 22s. Mm-hmm. Like who's next? Like you gotta have that guy. Just like Washington just took care of um, Terry McLaurin. That's 17. That's that number that you're gonna always see. You gotta yep. have that number, that jersey that's gonna connect fans. And if you don't, you're gonna lose a generation of fans because there's kids right now. Um, that I know a bunch of young kids that are playing travel baseball, and they're all fighting for 22. You even see some of the little kids doing the subtle shuffle after they get a strike called on them. So like, he's their identity. How much? And this is the question I would ask you. BJ, any other sports fans that are here, how much is the livelihood of this franchise worth to you? Because that's what you're doing. You're keeping this franchise alive. There are kids still in Baltimore right now or guys in Baltimore that are 45, 50 years old, and they walking around Camden Yards with an eight on their back. Well, yeah. <laughs> you got guys here, you got guys here that are walking around with the great eight for Vetchkin. And cap sweaters. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to have, I mean, we even know, because you're you're a couple years behind me, but 28 and 81, as a Redskins fan, slash football team, slash Commanders fan, slash Prince Sybil fan, whatever it is, <laughs> like, whatever that is, 28, 81 were the staples. Yes. You got to have that number or that person that fans gravitate to. And that 28 and 81 graduated to 21. Then it graduated maybe to 26 to 89. But now we need a placeholder. We need they, It's the same thing. That 17 now is taking that place. But mm-hmm. now in the Nationals door, you've got to have that guy that when kids wake up in the morning, they put an eye black under their eyes. You know what I'm saying? They're putting their wristbands on their arms, and they're doing everything they see Juan Soto do. And I'm I'm looking over the Nationals contracts. Out of 36 players, the biggest contract right now, at, as we speak, 
uh, July 17th, 2022, Steven Strasburg's, I'm talking, you know, contract period as a whole, $245 million. Who, Strasburg has had injury problems since he came into this, and he's injured yet again. 33 right. years old, $35 million uh, average salary. Patrick Corbin's behind him with six years, $140 million. 23 million and then it's a severe drop off right after those two and that's will harris three years 24 million he's only getting eight million a year then you got a bunch of one-year contracts soto nelson cruz josh bell uh caesar hernandez joe ross Mm. uh anibal sanchez sean doolittle and you know these are small after that you know but the biggest one out of the one years is nelson cruz and juan soto at 17 and 15 respectively million uh josh bell is at 10 million then caesar hernandez full so the nationals have money that's the thing they have money they've always had money the learners got money the learners have money but the baseball product doesn't exactly have money as much so in a normal franchise situation you're a baseball team say you're the orioles your tv contract also brings money into your franchise well, when Washington made the deal with the devil that we call Bud Selig, part of the deal was that their TV money, um, they controlled their TV situation, was controlled by the Orioles, because that was the way that Peter, Peter Angelos would allow a team into his quote-unquote market. So they were supposed to share revenue after like five or six years. That never happened. So now we got a lawsuit. Peter Angelos... Is probably one of the more litigious owners, probably ranking number two. And it's not by much to Dan Snyder. He will fight everything in court. He will hold everything up in court. And that's what's happened. So the Nats haven't naturally gotten that income growth that you would get. The other problem the Nationals had is 2019, you win the World Series. Well, 2020, COVID hits, and you don't have people in the park. Mm-hmm. If this team has a natural 2020 season where you get to celebrate the World Series, Fans are coming in. They're they're buying jerseys. They're getting anything with the World Series banner on it and all of that. That income alone would have given this team a jump. But instead, they didn't get that jump. And and then you so the I, I think they say the bloom is off the rose. So that bloom is gone in 2021. You don't have that same energy because the fans just watch this team have a losing season. So now you don't have so there's a gap between 19 and the excitement and 21 where you just watch this team lose a bunch of ball games. So there's no excitement going into 21 like oh we have um the World Series champions or reigning World Series champions. You don't have that. So they lost out on a year's income. So that's another reason why some of this isn't exactly like it normally was. Um and they're probably because of the sale. You're not putting the team in position to have a serious commitment to long-term deals. All right? Other thing I'll go back and dance with you on is you talked about Strasburg's deal. The deal was actually, I think it came down between um, Rendon and Strasburg. They were going to pay one, not the other. Well, the problem is both guys are injury-prone. The only reason Anthony Rendon is a national is because when he was at Rice, he had bad ankles. He broke his ankle a couple times. So he went from the first-ranked prospect 
to the fifth-ranked prospect that year, drafted by the Nationals. Strasburg had his injury concerns as well, so you were getting an injured guy either way. Because Anthony Rendon right now is on the DL for for um, the Angels. So, like, either way they went, they would have missed out or lost out on games played in that scenario. So that's really not their fault. Mm. Well, here's, my, here's, here's a question that I got for you. So you you got homegrown talent, right? And uh, uh, think about the guys that have walked that were that have come here you had a chance to sign them up that is taking it back a couple years michael morse he wound up going out what did he went he went to oakland after here i think he went to the giants but you also gotta remember um morse um morse has a bad had a bad injury during the hunter strickland bryce harper brawl um if you ever look into the to that Morse is the guy that came in and like hit somebody as they were about to hit Bryce Harper and he got a concussion out of that. And essentially that concussion ended Mike Morse's career. And Morse wasn't a guy that you were, he was a locker room guy, but he wasn't a guy that you were going to put in and build your franchise around or be a play person that's going to hit behind your, your top stars. He's more of a guy that's going to fill in and give you those intangibles. Kind of like, um, Parado Parra gave you some intangibles. He's one of those guys. So he's not really a, a homegrown talent anyway. Yeah, because they, got him, from, uh, they right. got him from uh, Seattle. I mean, but yep. he was a I – I, let me not call him homegrown talent, but you had guys no, come did. through here that you could possibly build with. Michael Morse was one. Uh, uh-huh. I felt Jason Worth was another. Uh, Bryce well, Hawkins was another that was Hold brought on. here. I'm going I'm to try to take things as you list them. So that's okay. why I'm getting lost on him. I'm sorry. So Jason right. Worth did his job. Jason Worth's job was to make this give this team legitimacy. Right? So he did that. He signed the same year he signed his eight year, I think it's like 124, 125 million dollar deal. The only other person that was out there in free agency that was an outfielder was Carl Crawford. So Crawford went to LA, floundered, went to Boston, floundered, got nothing from that. Jason Worth came here, was a leader. He actually helped that team in 2012 probably exceed expectations in 2012 because they weren't supposed to be in that spot. They weren't supposed to be a playoff team. They weren't supposed to be a one seed or a two seed. So that team outshined what it was supposed to do. Worth did his job. The only problem was, I mean, Worth's body just gave out on him. Mm-hmm. So he he wasn't the guy that you were going to be able to bring back because he didn't have any more value to you. So that's the only downside to Jason Worth. I mean, I don't even think he was hitting 250 at the time when he was done. Again, he's another glue guy, great locker room guy, but he just wasn't going to be a difference maker enough for you on a day-to-day basis. And then you can't keep him because you have, at that time, you had Victor Robles, who was supposed to be the number one prospect, and then Juan Soto. And the only reason Juan Soto comes up and plays in 2019 is because um, Victor Robles dies for a ball and breaks his elbow. Otherwise, you'd have had Robles up instead of Soto. Okay. Go ahead. Now, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm going to name them. Now, these, these are just people that have, that have come through the organization, some homegrown, some not, but they wound up leaving the organization and going elsewhere. But when they were here, they were 
I'm not going to say touted, but they were guys that that produced here. And I'm like, okay, you keep these guys and, you know, keep adding pieces. You got a championship team. And, you know, when you go out to the bullpen, uh, you remember Tyler Clippard. I'm sure you do. Yeah, of course. Okay. He's one. Right. But uh, Clip, see, go ahead. see, I remember relievers got a short window. So Clip was on the third, his third or fourth year here. So he was on the end of that window where you got to bring somebody in. And I think they brought in um, Daniel Hudson to replace Clipper. So they let Clipper walk. Hudson comes in. I think you get Hudson, Doolittle, and all that in that stretch. So it's a little bit – baseball is a little bit different. Like the Braves are probably the, the San Antonio Spurs of baseball, where the Braves yeah. just – they can bring up a guy – that um, it's probably like the seventh guy in the system, but because they do everything the same way, this guy comes up and plays great ball. A uh, perfect example of that is if you've watched the Braves this year, they got a center fielder kid named Michael Harris the third, I mean the second, playing center field for him right now. Um, he wasn't the guy that was supposed to be next in line. The guy that was next in line was Christian Posh, who they traded to the Oakland Athletics to get Matt Olson. Okay. Next. <laughs> Gio Gonzalez. Uh, Gio was done. Mm. At, the, at the Gio's last two years, Gio was putting about 85 to 90 pitches into a five inning start. That's supposed to last you six or seven innings, not five innings. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he was at that 80 number at four. So Gio just lost his stuff. That's all okay. that was. Uh, Drew Storen. Head case. They ruined him. By bringing in um, the 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 um, the Philly Strangler, and they brought in Papelbon. That ruined Drew Storen's confidence, and it didn't help that that came the year after 2012, where he was one strike away from them advancing against the Cardinals, and he just couldn't get that third strike no matter what. Mm. That was a heartbreaking year. I, I swear it was. That was the the worst I felt after a sporting event in a long time. Like I didn't eat the next day. Um, I did nothing. I think I just got in the car. I drove, got my son. We went and watched the movie or whatever, but I didn't talk to nobody. I was I was out of it. Okay. And I understand how you feel. I'm I'm not saying okay to 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 say, yeah, I whatever. No, I'm saying okay because I know how you feel. That, yeah, that, so that, that day that's deep. That day was special. Like I, I literally waited after midnight. So tickets dropped like probably 2 or 3 a.m. I stayed up, bought my tickets, um, sent my boy his ticket, and, like, yeah, I didn't care what it cost. I think I spent, like, 250 on the tickets. So it didn't matter. Cost didn't matter. It was, like, the next biggest moment in this in this city's history, this, this franchise's history. So I had to be there. Now, you had a, a backlog at Catcher. With Wilson right. Ramos and Kurt Suzuki, you didn't keep neither one. You lost both because you had to pick who was it going to be. I think Ramos got hurt, and Suzuki right. stepped in, and Suzuki was lights out. He hitting behind the plate, everything. He was he was lights out. All right, so and you didn't keep either this one. Is a, this is a money ball situation, kind of. So what they did with Ramos, Ramos tears his ACL. Um, I think like the second week of the season. Uh, he has a bad recovery, so they let him go. I think he ends up in Tampa. 
Suzuki ends up laying up trading for Jan Gomes, I think midway through that season or the beginning of next season. And really, Suzuki only played 81 games, and Gomes played 81 games. So the, that, that season in 19 was either the third or fourth best, like, pure catcher numbers. If you just put the catcher position up and saw their numbers, then that's for, like, fourth. But it was because of the aggregate of the two players playing that position. So they made one really good catcher with two guys and let those guys play part-time. Neither one of those guys are playing full-time right now. Jan is in Chicago. I think Kurt is in um, L.A. playing with the Angels. He's a backup. So the only way those two would have worked is if they stayed together as a duo. So, mm-hmm. But right now, they have a better catcher because they have this kid, um, Kiebert Ruiz. Well, I'm sorry, Ky- Kyber Ruiz um, out of the Dodger system. He's 22. He's got an arm. And he got, he's got an excellent hit tool. So he's going to be your guy. And right now, they've hit him second and fifth. So if you hit a guy second, that tells me he can control the bat. So the problem is going to be, is he going to stay at catcher or are you going to move him to first to save his knees maybe? That's the only thing you got to think about in that scenario. Which is true, yeah, because my, 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 my oldest daughter is uh, a testament to how the catcher position can dig up your knees because she was a catcher in high school and her left knee, boy, it, mm-hmm. it give her a fit. <laughs> she ain't number 25, and it give her a fit. So, uh, 2013, you had uh, also had um, God, I just had his name. Uh, 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 geez, all right, hold on, hold on, hold What's on. Uh, I was looking at pitches. Um, um, damn it, I just had his name, Ross Detweiler, because he was another, hey. he, he was, he was a Doc Walker guy. Doc loved, yeah. he loved Drew Storen, uh Detweiler. He loved everybody loved Geo. Everybody loved Geo. But he was Detweiler was a Doc Walker guy. I will say that because Doc couldn't get enough of Ross Detweiler. So Detweiler was one of the last guys um brought in by um Bolden. Um he was a good pick, he was a first round pick. Lefty, he's stuck around, but he's just Never been able to be anything more than a back-end rotation guy. And when you're a back-end rotation guy, it doesn't – like, you can find a guy that pitches at the back end your rotation. So that's not a thing. That's not something you're going to invest in. Like, right now, they have a kid they drafted in the first round, um, Eric Fetty, who's probably their fourth – their third best pitcher, but he should be the fourth or fifth guy um, on their staff. Okay. So, so all these guys that were and and the Nationals had success. They had success in the the mid two thousands. Well, I say the mid two thousand tens. They had success because you know they were constantly in the playoffs, best record in baseball. But they just never could get over the hump. And you right. had guys like Anthony Rendon, Ian Desmond, um, Denard Span. You had guys right. like this that were they were, you know, I listened to a lot of nine eighty. And they were 980 guys. Because every time right, somebody... So, Go ahead. No, no. I'm going I'm to help you out. So Ian Desmond and Jordan Zimmerman were both offered contracts before they left. I think they had, both were offered five years, 70 million, somewhere in that range. Both declined them, betting on themselves. The next year, they didn't have a great year. And when they hit free agency, they never made that money back. 
Mm-hmm. And then Ian, who's probably one of the best athletes, the only problem with Ian is he doesn't hit consistently. Because at that time, you had Ian Desmond and Danny Espinosa. I was the Espinosa guy. Um, I thought if you gave Espinosa um, 140 games, he would hit you 25 home runs. But the problem was he couldn't hit. He couldn't hit. He just couldn't hit for average. Um, same thing with Desmond. So the Nats get lucky. They get called, like San Diego calls them, or they end up in a deal with San Diego and Tampa Bay where they end up getting Trey Turner and Joe Ross. The Nats give up Steven Sousa, who at that time, at best, was their fourth or fifth outfielder. And the only thing he's known for is saving Jordan Zimmerman's um, no-hitter the season before in the last game of the year. So you get two cornerstone guys, and all you give up is the fourth outfielder, the power of Rizzo. The dude was a magician. I will say that. And then, I mean, the other thing, people say no homegrown talent. But you got to look, that team – the Nats were mercenaries because they had to fill holes um, on the fly. So they gave up guys like uh, um, some of their young prospects like uh, Ronaldo Lopez, uh, Dane Dunning, and Lucas Giolito, and they bring back an Adam Eaton. Now, the only thing with Giolito was when he came up as a Nat, he struggled with velocity. So that kind of took the shine off of him. They move him in a deal to get a piece that's very important to their deal, to their success, and part of the reason why they won that championship in 19. Like, I don't want to sit here and, like, trash the guys that you think would have um, were going to be staples, but I'm trying to show it's just like in baseball, the way things move and you maneuver your roster, you can always get around certain guys. And the guys you can't get around losing – um, well, they got lucky with Soto when they lost Harper. So I think Soto showed them that they could lose Harper and not really take a step back. So that was the kicker for them. Let me, um, let me say something about, about Harper real quick. I think Harper leaving and going to Philadelphia and then uh, the Nationals winning the, 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 uh, the World Series after he left, I felt that that was a, the biggest – F you to, to Bryce Harper. Yeah, yeah. And it made it so much sweeter. Like, bro, you were here. You were the guy. And you couldn't get it done. They found somebody to replace you who's not as good. And they got it done. I felt that that was the biggest F you and it felt so good. Well, I think the difference with Harper was, I mean, Harper was highly touted since Harper was like 16. Mm-hmm. And he decided to graduate high school early play juco ball so he could just become um a top round pick and there's a guy in the draft this year i think it's elliot berry don't quote me on that um that did the same path he's probably no it's cam college that's who it is cam college um he's probably gonna get taken if he hasn't been taken already in the top 10 of this draft today and the kid is he went the same he went the harper route um he just didn't have the same fanfare um, he's about 17 or 18, son of a baseball player. And the kid did graduated early and went to JUCO just like Harper did. So that's somebody's following that model. So Harper has set a trend in that regard. Now, um, I got, oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, 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 I got three final names for you. Okay. And then we'll jump off that and then we'll, we'll close up with, uh, you know, the, what's the possible scenarios for Soto yeah. either keeping him here or, trading them away so let me let me throw these three names out 
that were, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, and it's very limited and uh, sh- small, but Tanner Roark, uh, okay. Adam LaRoche, and Craig Stamen. Those okay. are three names, and they 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 were 980 guys because they always talked about them, and you would always hear Sheehan and, and, and Doc and everybody, and especially when the sports reporters were on with, with Zabe and Andy, you would always hear them talk about these guys and saying, you know, okay, long term, these guys could turn into some. Every guy that I've named, it was always talking about long term, long term. They keep their self together. They're doing this now. They're just one piece away. Okay. But so, everybody that won that championship in 19, out of everybody on those early teams that were best in baseball, you know, the hottest team, when they went on that, that run after the All-Star break the first time, which they would mm-hmm. do regularly, only mm-hmm. one person, I believe, from that team won a championship, and that was Mr. National himself, Ryan Zimmerman. And I love the Nationals' loyalty to him. I, I, I love that they were loyal to him the way that they were, where he played his entire career here. Sometimes he played, sometimes he didn't. But when they needed him, he did whatever. And I, I just for that, I think if they started a, a ring of fame for just the Washington National, not the Montreal Expos, but the Washington National, they started a ring of fame, he should be the first person to go in. Well, him and number, Craig Robinson, that's it. He had his number retired um, a couple weeks ago. I missed that. I he had missed a whole, that. They, had a whole, they, they did a whole weekend dedicated – to Ryan Zimmerman, because you're actually right. And again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, generational guys. So right now, 11 Zimmerman is the jersey that you'll see in the park he, because he grew up with this team. 2005, first-round pick out of UVA. Um, comes up, I think, in the middle of that first season and has stayed there ever since. His only problem, like you said, was injury. Liz Frank in the shoulder. If his shoulder doesn't go crazy on him, he's probably um, one of the best third basemen ever. But uh, unfortunately, uh, bad shoulder, you can't throw, you can't repeat the motion. He had to slide across the first, and it didn't hurt that they had Rendon in the pipeline, and that's what they decided to move over to third and take over for him. So you said Tanner Rowak. Again, that's another another great move by – Rizzo, because they got him for a ham sandwich and a song. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot who they got him for, but I'm, I swear he, he, they didn't give up much to get him. It was a trade. He was kind of like, you know how it's, in baseball it's like the player to be named later, and I think he became the player to be named later in one of those scenarios, and that's how he ends up here. He definitely outkicked his coverage. Um, he's a bulldog, and I know why nine, the guys at 980 love him because he's going to give you everything he's got Every time he comes to the mound, you know what I'm saying? He's that guy, kind of guy. Stamen, I think they got in a situation where <clears throat> his his number just got too big for him to stay, for him just to be a long reliever. If he was a closer or something like that, it would have justified the number they were paying him. But because it didn't, um, I think he went to like San Diego or somewhere after that. And then LaRoche, if memory serves me correctly, LaRoche – there was an incident, uh, 2017 or 2018, with LaRoche's son being in the clubhouse and things like that. And I think that kind of fractured that relationship because that was during the Matt Williams era. And I think they moved him to Chicago and he finished out, but LaRoche wasn't the same 
he wasn't Adam LaRoche anymore after like 2016. I remember that incident with his son. What what was the problem though? I can't remember what the problem. I, think, I, I vaguely remember that. His I son, think, they didn't want his son down there or something. I think his son was just there too much. Like kids have access to the locker room um with baseball, but I think he was just like there constantly and it wasn't really a break. Um so like sometimes the guys bring the, the kids in the park maybe once or twice a week, but I think he was there like every day or something. And I think the guys just kind of got annoyed with him. Um, and then something happened. I don't remember the exact incident. But that's kind of where that came from or stemmed from. Oh, shoot. I just dropped my phone. But let me let me say this. Now, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how the NFL does. But I know in the NBA, players, especially when they're home, their kids mm-hmm. visit the locker room all the time. Because Dale Curry always had his boys around. Because Muggsy Bogues even says now. He says, you know. He loves Steph Curry because he watched him grow. He played with Dale in in in, in Charlotte. He watched him grow. Um, mm-hmm. he watched you know Seth grow, and right. you got All Star weekends, and you know you got pictures of Dale Curry sitting next to the great Drazen Petrovic. And I remember the caption of one of my favorite. It says, you know, the the the, the this generation's greatest shooter watching the greatest shooter of all time shoot. You know, right, but. You know, you got that in sports where the guys bring their kids around, especially, you know, even if you're not the top guy, you bring the kids around and, and, and you know, you meet the stars of the other team and everything. And they, hey, you playing baseball like your dad. And it's just, it's like a rapport. It's like, I thought it was supposed to be family. I wouldn't give a no, damn my teammate brung. No, if we was on the same team and you brung your son to the clubhouse every goddamn on game, I'm going to sit there, I'm going to chat it up with him. You know, of course, we got to behave. You can't have clubhouse behavior. You got to behave. Right. But that's okay. But he's getting a taste of what it's like. Well, it's not right, like so he's sitting in on meetings. Come on now. I'll give you two pieces. So first piece is if you watch tomorrow night during the home run derby, you're going to see what, what you're talking about. You know, you're going to see the kids or the players sitting around with their dads as they watch these guys hit the home runs. And if you go back into the late 90s, you see little Vlad, you know, on the side, him playing with other kids um, as the home run derby was going on. So it's not – it's see, the, the bad thing is, and I don't want to do this because I know I'm missing a piece of the story, but I knew there was an incident. I don't know the whole incident. So that's why the LaRoche thing st- stuck out to me. And I just remember after that, things kind of went – he kind of went it out. Um, he said, Curry – we talked to kids, the home run derby. It was something else you brought up. I can't think of right now. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of thing. It was just the kids going to be there, so it's not going to be. It's it's not really an issue until something happens. Oh, this is what I'm going to say. So there is this great story out there about Ken Griffey Jr. He said he would never play for the Yankees, and the reason why was because him, Willie Randolph's kids, and a couple other guys' kids were playing. It was like Seattle playing New York in New York. And somehow um, they were out in the field the night day before, but the next day, like the Yankees, somebody from the Yankees yelled at him. And like from that day, Ken Griffey said he would never, ever, ever play for the New York Yankees. So things happen on the backside that we don't know about, but these guys had these stories. So, yeah. So I think LaRoche was kind of in one of those situations where maybe somebody said something to the kid, the dad didn't like it. 
get me out of here. You know what I'm saying? But we don't know. So right, we can only speculate. I get that. Right, right. But my thing is, I and this is something that I've learned over the years. Now I've been around up and down all over the place. But when you got a family atmosphere and it's real, it's genuine, it's not forced. You do some great things together because it's like you pull together at the worst times at the best times, but you know, you got your brother to lean on exactly. and that, that, that's, that goes without saying if it's the kid, come on, man. I, anyway. So but I, think I remember about this situation. year, I mean, this year, well, all right. So look at Toronto Blue Jays. You got some, some of the best second generation guys there. You got little Vlad, you got little Bichette. Um, and you got Kevin BGO up there, all second generation players. This draft at the top of the draft, the top two players are going to be Jackson Holiday, Matt Holiday's son, and the other person is going to be Drew Drew Jones, Andrew Jones' son. And then I think Manny Ramirez has his son um, coming up. I'm not sure if he's draft eligible or not. And then after him, uh, David Ortiz's son is also draft eligible this year, I think. I'm a, on the last two, I'm going to just say, uh, I think. I'm not sure. So this, the game is in good hands because these second-generation guys are getting the shot, and they're taking advantage of it. Can you Yeah, I got you. Well, we're going to close up with this. What are the options for Juan Soto and the Nationals, whether – you already said the number. You said anything from 450 and up and dial a years back to about 11 or 12, correct? Uh-oh, did I lose the Midnight Rider? <clears throat> I think I lost him. I think I lost him. I heard him moving. I think I lost him. Uh-oh. Did I lose him or did he lose me? You still there, Ben? Oh, man. There you go. Yeah, I can barely hear you. You're kind of low. You got to give me a little volume. I can't really hear you. All right, well, you, you jump off and then jump back on. We can close this out. So, you know, we got the the Midnight Rider uh, just having a little technical difficulty, something that we go Hold to. On. Can you hear me now? There you go. Yeah, I got you now. All right, I know what it was. Um, little phone situation in the car right now. Trying to take the kid <laughs> back home. Multitasking. I got you. So. So go ahead, give me your um, it was Soto situation, right? Right, and Soto, we're gonna close it out on this. Soto, you say anything four fifty and north, but you dial right. the years back to eleven and eleven, twelve years. I say twelve to thirteen. Okay. Four fifty to four seventy five is my number. Okay. Now, if they can't come up to that, and they don't come up to that, do the Nationals actually realistically trade away Juan Soto and probably? 
probably get back three magic beans. They're gonna, they, yeah, they they have to if they can't get the deal done. You can't let a talent like that walk um, without getting anything back. I mean, the Bryce Harper situation happened, but that's only because management stepped in and decided to to exit deal with the Houston Astros um, on the trade deadline. That's the only reason Harper got out of here without them getting anything substantial back in return. Soto, yes, if you don't trade him, you, I mean, if you don't sign him, you have to trade him in 2024. It's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have to make a deal. Uh, you might even have to make the deal. The best farm system is either Tampa Bay, um, but he's not going to go to Tampa Bay. The Yankees have some talent, but uh, like you got to find a place that's going to give you the best three players in their system. And maybe even a, a player that's in the, in the league right now. So like, say, uh, um, say like Atlanta. From Atlanta, you might have to take one of their pitchers like Strider, um, Michael Harris, the kid we talked about in center, and two other players. And it's crazy you talk about what you have in the system. The Nationals had arguably one of the best farm systems about six, between the, the last six and 12 years, between the last six and 12 years, they had one of the best farm systems. And it's all gone to SHIT, as my godmother used to say, because they traded away the best prospects they had to get guys for now, and you still didn't win now. Now, has the, 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 the farm system been built back up and replenished since then? That they have guys that's in the pipeline that are actually going to be everyday players at the major level? So you got a kid down in single way, Brady House, they drafted him last year. He's going to be a star. He's got electricity in his back. The question is just going to be, he's probably two or three years away. Um, they've got a kid. They've got a young arm down there as well. You had two guys that just came up this year, uh, Evan Lee and Jackson Citro. Both guys got hurt. You have Kay Cavalli who should be in the majors any day now. So there's talent there. There's just some of them aren't elite talent. They're whole fillers. They're guys that's going to make your 25-man roster better than what it is. They actually have a guy, I'm curious what's going to happen after they trade Josh Bell, because I'm saying they're trading Josh Bell, um, because they have to trade Josh Bell. They have a kid at AAA. He's not really a kid. He's about 33, 34 years old. Played a lot of Mexican ball. Uh, that's playing first base for them right now. I think his last name is Mensa. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's Mensa. He is going to be one of those guys that you see come up and get a shot. And if he can play, then they're going to be in a better position. If he, if he can't play, then that means you got to address first base and free agency. Maybe you go back to Josh Bell and re-sign him or reacquire him later on. But, I mean, it's just going to be – the farm system is okay. It's probably about 15th. They're going to get some help from the draft today. I'm not sure who they're going to get, but more than likely they're going to go get a college back. So that way the window is shorter for him to come up. Instead of having to wait four years, you probably wait two. So I think that's where they are, but they're in good shape. 
they're getting there. Let's say that. And as a national supporter, I, you know, I love to see the Washington Nationals win. And I always say one thing that I want in my lifetime is a Yankees Nationals uh, World Series. Um, because it, it, either way, I'm going to win. You know, either I'm winning, either the city going to win and I win or my Yankees going to win and I win. It doesn't matter, but I'm going to win. <laughs> but I'm hoping that they can keep going the way that they're going. I'm hoping this Juan Soto thing is worked out and it's not dragged out uh, long. And, you know, it's it goes too far into the abyss of the summer and, you know, into the off season. So. But the Midnight Rider jumped. Um, I'm getting ready to jump, too. Thank you, everybody, for listening, joining us. Uh, any questions, comments, uh, concerns? You got some up? Hold on. The Midnight Rider coming back. I got him back. I got him back. There you go. I saw you left for a minute. You still there, boss? Uh-oh. We have a hella technical difficulty, but hey, we back in the studio anyway. But uh that's all our time we got. Um until next time, uh I will be talking to the Midnight Rider as this Juan Soto thing progresses. And as soon as we get some news, we're gonna be right back with it again. But until then, we don't do no overtime. We are out of here.